Some of the topics discussed on Blackbird, an advocacy podcast, may be difficult to hear. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to episode 39 of Blackbird. I am your host, Sarah, and with me, as always, is my lovely co-host, Dan. Good snowy morning. Yes. It did just begin to snow again. We are in the middle of winter in New York, so this just, this all makes sense. <laughs> That's just how it works here. Um, we, like, literally hadn't had snow until uh, last week. And then it was just all the snow. <laughs> so now it won't stop. So last week we introduced you to the case of Nicole Adamanto. Today is part two in this story. So if you have yet to listen to part one, please go do so before you start this one to get a little context and to understand where we're going with the story. For a little recap, Nicole Nikki Adamando had met Chris Grover in 2008. The pair had two children together, but life was not all sunshine and roses. Nikki had endured years of abuse at the hand of Chris and even reported this abuse to many organizations, including medical personnel and police. Unfortunately, nothing was done about these reports. So one night, Nikki took matters into her own hands when Chris threatened to kill her. The years of torture and torment built up and Nikki shot and ultimately killed Chris. She was subsequently arrested and charged with second-degree murder. So here we go with sort of a conclusion to this, this case. While Nikki believed what had happened was purely in self-defense, the prosecution had other ideas. So here is where we get into the prosecution's argument. On March 13th, 2019, the People v. Adamando began in downtown Poughkeepsie. The prosecution opened with a text message Nikki had sent one of her friends just weeks prior to Chris's death. It read, quote, I haven't figured out a way to kill him without being caught, so I'm still here. Their position was that Nikki planned to kill Chris and found the opportunity one night while he was asleep on the couch. Now, there are two things that should be noted before we move on in this case. One, in New York State, in a self-defense case, the prosecution has the burden to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant was not justified in using deadly force. And the jury must assess this based on whether they believe a reasonable person in the same circumstances would have believed there was a lethal threat presented to them. If the prosecution cannot prove this and the jury does believe there was a justification, they are to return a verdict of not guilty. But if the prosecution does prove to the jury that there was indeed no justification, they are to return a verdict of guilty. And I think that goes for most states. I'm pretty sure that's yeah. primarily what happens in self-defense cases all over the country. But right. of course, we're in New York, 
So we're going to talk about New York law. And two, Nikki's original court-appointed public defender who spent months upon months on her case, going through evidence and discovery, speaking to witnesses, compiling case notes, all of the things a defense attorney is supposed to do, was suddenly asked to be taken off the case. But this was not by Nikki. In actuality, Nikki wanted her to stay on the case. This was the doing of the prosecution. The defense attorney believed this was an 11th hour move to disrupt the case. Nikki then got a new public defender from an office that was in transition, so he was only temporarily her attorney. She finally landed on two attorneys who only had a short time to prepare for trial. Which is complete nonsense in any case, and especially a murder case. Yes. Apparently, the prosecution brought up that there was a conflict of interest with the original defense attorney because there was something that had to do with another domestic violence situation that I think maybe... It was something like that defense attorney maybe was a victim of domestic violence and they felt that she would not be able to be partial or something like that. It's like... Who cares? If she's doing her job, she's doing her job. Right. And if she's not partial, then all the better for you. Like, if she's not doing her job well. Right. It's it's an attorney's responsibility to leave there, leave any partiality outside of the courtroom. Absolutely. And if they feel that they can't, it's their onus to uh, recuse themselves. Right. Correct. So for an attorney to be asked... To not try a case for personal bias is unusual. Yes. And the when they brought this up, um, Nikki signed a waiver stating, I still want her to be my attorney. Nikki knew the situation because obviously she has to hear all of all of that to, to understand why her defense attorney might be leaving her. Um, but she said, I still want her here. I still, she's, she's the one who spent months on her case. Right. She's the one who knows this inside out. And case prep is so incredibly important. So incredibly important. In any case. Yep. And especially in something like a murder case. Correct. You cannot have a fair trial between a prosecution or a defense who have had months to prepare and an opposing side who have had weeks to prepare. Correct. It just, it just, it's just not a thing. Correct. You need if you if you're going to change counsel that late, you need to postpone the case. Uh, ag- the agreed. Trial. Agreed. You should yes, exactly. They should still have that of same amount of time yes. as the prosecution had right. at that point. Um unfortunately, she was taken off the case. Um like I said, she then was appointed another public defender who was or not a public defender rather, um someone who 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 was from an office that was like kind of in transition. So like it was only a temporary thing. So it's like, why are you even bothering with this person? Why even appoint this person? Like I didn't understand that interim. Um, And then she finally landed on these two who, who were eventually actually her defense attorneys and they were able to get the case notes and everything from her original defense attorney, but they hardly had any time to prepare. So needless to say, it was, it was not fair to have, them come in so late and like her original defense attorney said that she believed it was an 11th hour move and they right. needed something to to you know thrust this case 
into a downward spiral for for the defense. Right. It's like an obvious tactic that should not be allowed. No. And the judge should have seen that and said, no, no, I know what that is. I'm a judge. I've been doing this for a while. Yeah, well, wait till you hear about the judge. And that's the thing. Like, you can't become... There's no such thing as, like, a judge who's new to law. Like, if you're a judge, you've been in the legal world for a long time. Correct. (laughs) Correct. Yeah, you don't don't just come out of law school and become a judge. Right, that's 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 right. That's not a thing. Yeah. Exactly. Like, day one on the job as a judge is day 2,000 on the job as an attorney. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's why you see judges who are, like, old. Right. Because they have all this, right. all these years of experience. Right. Exactly. So back to the prosecution's theory. When police examined Chris's phone, this is one of the things that irritated me the most about their argument. When police examined Chris's phone after his death, they found deleted searches for, quote, when... When shoot her, will they know she was asleep when examining her? Will they know she was asleep when shot? Part of brain to shoot in suicide. That these were made only hours before his death. The prosecution claimed that Nikki had searched these things on his phone. Right. To make it look like, yeah. Further, the prosecution alleged that the photographs of Nikki's injuries that she said were from the abuse Chris caused were actually self-inflicted. Unlikely. Very. Very unlikely. Very unlikely. There's a certain degree to which you can hurt yourself. Right. You know, the scene in Liar Liar, you can't really do that. (laughs) It's true. You're gonna, you know, unless you're literally like some kind of like super yogi and you have absolute maximum willpower, there's a certain amount that your body will absolutely not let you do. Right. It's, it's, it's unfathomable to think that A, she stole his phone and decided she was going to search these terms and then kill him. And that... These years of abuse that she actually reported and showed photos of were complete lies and manufactured drama to make it look like he and, really and for years and years and years. And if there's a years long history of, of of me hurting myself and then making reports that it's you, you're not going to stick around. You would think. So like she, he he wouldn't have stuck with her. If she was making all these, she was beating the crap out of herself and then filing reports with the police saying that it was him. Right. And he's not really doing it. He's going to be like, you got to stop. You're going to get me put in jail. Yeah. Like the second time it happens, he's like, you know what? I'm out of here. Yeah. He's not going to stick around for years letting her frame him. Also, (laughs) if you remember from last week, we talked about the fact that the children even explained to CPS that mommy and daddy would fight, physically fight. Right. So... She's inflicting this on herself. Meanwhile, right. the child is actually witnessing him. Right. Ab- like. Right. It's it's just unreal. And I, I know that they're supposed to do this because, you know, it's their job. But, like, it's just disgusting. It's just absolutely disgusting. The tactics that, that lawyers will pull out in order to. But here's the thing. That's not their job. That's not ethical. You're, and you no, you're, And you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I, he, 
it, it's the job to find the truth of the matter and it is the it is their job to get justice served for the person that needs justice served it is not their job you're right to make up blatant lies and and try to uh, prejudice the jury and and make them believe that this person is uh, is not telling the truth you're supposed to be again finding what's best for society so if if she killed him in self defense it's very unlikely that she would end up killing somebody else if she did indeed plan to kill him and it was second degree or first degree murder then yeah, she could potentially do this again. And that's how you want justice served. But to to say that she wasn't a victim and she she did this to herself and that he was the only victim in this case and, you know, all of these things just to to prove a point, you're absolutely right. That's not yeah, their and, job. And, and justice is to prevent the death in either direction so it's to prevent her from killing him but it's also to prevent him from killing her yeah so some people would say like oh well you know how would the case have been different if she hadn't won that day if he had killed her he'd have gone gone to jail and everyone would have been like look at this piece of crap he killed his he killed his girlfriend and the mother of his children but like no one should have to die no one should have to die correct it should not have even gotten to the point that it did <laughs> right it, it and and we'll we'll talk about what some of these reports said that she filed because there were so many instances for somebody to the system is so broken it's so so broken yeah and we'll we'll get into it we'll get into it so when the prosecution was able to cross-examine nikki and here we go with another infuriating part of this trial they asked questions regarding the beginnings of her relationship with Chris, asking if she had told people at that time that he was kind and caring, and she said she had, which is very common in the beginning stages of relationships. Abusers are generally going to be Prince Charming because they want to start seeing how far in they can get this person before they can start really getting to the the major incidents. They then asked about when Nikki became pregnant with their first child, Ben. Chris was, quote, very excited to become a father. This is now a quote from the prosecutor. When you were pregnant with Faye, he was equally excited. So that was their second child. Nikki answered with, quote, he put a burning spoon in my vagina when I was pregnant with Faye. Things were very different. And then the prosecutor replied, quote, the burning spoon incident you said was as a result of a snark comment to him. You should be disbarred immediately. Right? You should be disbarred immediately. How is that appropriate? That is not even close to appropriate. So, because she made a snarky comment, he, she, deserves she deserves genital to be mutilation. Burned by a Right. L- wh- what? Yeah, no, that's completely 
That's completely and utterly unethical. Right? And that's the thing. When you see law stuff on, like, TV, a lot of times you see lawyers, like, getting in witnesses' faces and, like, raising their voices and being aggressive. And that's not a thing in in procedure. Real law, yes. You're correct. not allowed to do that. No. If you do that, the judge will say, can you please step back from the witness box? You can't. You can't do that. Right. Um, right. You could be held in contempt if you right. if you do something like that. Absolutely. And so so you're not allowed to, like, ask ridiculous questions or imply things like that. You know, a judge will say, like, you know, excuse me, counselor. Like, you know, the judge is going to make a comment or should make a comment about saying something like that. I wish I and had... And how did the defense attorney... Well, of course, this is a public defender. Sometimes they're not, you So, know. actually, I don't think this was a... This one was a public defender. I think this one was <clears throat> actually um, a hired um, counsel team. There were two. Right. Um, so, I don't think it was okay. public defense. But um, that's what I was going to say. Um, I wish I had the trial transcript because I would like to see if they objected to this. And that's what I was going to say. There should have been an objection. Right. The thing is, though, I mean, even if you object, the jury already has this in their mind. That's the point of of get, trying to get these things out. Right, but we, right, right, exactly. And so, that again, that's not that's not ethical. <laughs> yeah, you know, <sighs> I know, I know. It's infuri- it's, it's it's bending the rules. And yeah, okay. Sometimes, sometimes in legitimate legal practice. You bend the rules a little bit. But again, it's not like it is on TV. Like, at some point, the judge is going to stop you and say, that's enough. Mm-hmm. You've, you know, I let you get away with this one thing before. That's enough now. You've got to stop. And there are certain things that they just won't let you get away with at all. <laughs> Correct. Or they're not supposed to let you get away with. The prosecution continued and claimed that the fact that there is no evidence of Chris actively abusing Nikki shows there is no evidence that she was ever actually abused by him at all. And the text message that the prosecution opened the trial by stating, it was actually part of a much longer chain of texts between Nikki and her friend, none of which was read to the jury except that one text. However, in this case, context is extremely important. The text chain continued as Nikki told her friend she thought about killing him only once, but felt if she ever tried to leave him or file charges against him, his family would sue for custody of the children. She said she was staying for the children, which is also so common. Right. And that's why context is very important. And that's why, you know, if you submit uh, an email as evidence, for example, in a case, you have to submit the entire email thread. And yes, you can print it all out and highlight the one that looks best for your case, for your argument, but you have to print the entire email thread. Part of the problem with this was the defense didn't even grab the rest of this to say, right. let's put this into context. Right. Yes, Which- that was a text, but... Let's read the entire right. chain. And that's the first thing that they would have done when they got up for cross-examination is they would have said, okay, I'm going to read you the whole thing, or at least these two other relevant things where she says, oh, I would never do it. <laughs> right. They should have had her friend on the witness stand go through her end of the of the text messages 
and and explain, yeah, she said that, but that wasn't the only thing she said. Let's go through the entirety of it to show that she wasn't planning to kill him, that it was just a, a thought that crossed her mind because she had been abused for right. so long. And they should have called for expert testimony a psychologist to read the te- read the texts, the entire text thread, and give testimony about whether or not the psychologist believes that she was actually intending right. yep. to carry out this act or if she was just venting to her friend. Right. Yeah, there's a lot that should have been done. Again, her defense team, the one that actually ended up being her her true defense team at the trial, did not have enough time to prepare. Right. So there unfortunately wasn't a lot of time to to do yeah. these things. And, and, yeah, and so in addition to just doing your research and first of all, understanding the case so that you knew even, you know even what happened getting things like expert testimony, getting something like a psychologist is the kind of thing that you need time for. Absolutely. Because you don't just have a psychologist on retainer to come in. You don't just have, you know, a blood spatter expert on retainer to come in for a case at a moment's notice. Like, hey, can you come in on Wednesday? Right. These are the kinds of things that have to be scheduled and take time. They need time to examine the evidence in order to come to their expert conclusions. Exactly. So they may not have even had time to bring a psychologist in to go over these these emails, uh, these text messages. They may not have had access to the entire text message chain. They may because not have- you have to you have to file for that, and there's got to be bureaucracy and red tape and mm-hmm. crap. Yep, everything takes time in the government. Yep, it, exactly, exactly. <laughs> it took me six hours to renew my damn driver's license yesterday. No, it's ridiculous. Through the trial, the prosecution contended that Chris absolutely was asleep at the time of the shooting. However, the medical examiner testified to the fact that it is impossible to ascertain whether someone was sleeping or was awake at the time of their death. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh-huh. hashtag not a doctor, but like, come on. <laughs> exactly. Furthermore... The DNA expert testified that Nikki most likely held the gun for a brief moment not long enough to have left a reliable trace of her dna on that gun the expert continued that chris was the major contributor of genetic material on the murder weapon but the point of the prosecution underscoring their claim that chris was asleep was to plant doubt in the jurors heads Well, how could he have held the gun for so long if he was asleep? And if he was asleep, then she was holding the gun and she she didn't perceive a threat. He was asleep. How could she perceive a threat? So she just got up and shot him in cold blood. That's that's their argument. Right. Meanwhile, the DNA expert is saying there was nothing on that gun that even showed us that she was holding it for a long enough period. They couldn't even find her genetic material on it. They found his. Which means he was holding it for a hell of a lot longer than she was. Right. Which the defense's argument is that he was holding the gun. He was telling her he was going to kill her. They struggled for it. It fell. She grabbed it. She shot him. So their argument makes a lot of more, a lot more sense when it comes to the expert testimony of the DNA expert. That she grabbed it quickly, shot him, and then was like, oh my God, and, you know, dropped it. And that's why there's nothing really on it to show that she was handling it. Right. But he had it for longer than she had it. So 
yeah, how could she not perceive that as a threat? And how, in in the minds of the jury, was that not a, a larger piece of it? And the fact that he was asleep, again, the medical examiner said, you can't tell if somebody's right. asleep yeah, no, or not. Your heart doesn't, like, stop beating when you're asleep. Right. You don't, like, not bleed. Right. When you're shot in your sleep. Exactly. So it's just, it's... Again, they're, like, grasping at straws. They're mm. grasping at straws. And if I were one of those jurors, I'd be like, you're an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> like, seriously? It's just... Yeah. Anyway, on April 12th, 2019, after a lengthy four-day deliberation, the jury came back with a guilty verdict. At this point, she was to wait for sentencing. But just mere weeks after she was convicted, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo signed the Domestic Violence Survivors Justice Act, the DVSJA, into law. This law allows judges to exercise discretion when sentencing if a claimant can prove the abuse contributed to their crime. DVSJA is retroactive, which means the judge in Nikki's case could have used this in his sentencing considerations. However, despite Nikki's numerous reports, including the sexual assault examinations, the numerous witnesses who saw the bruises and injuries Nikki endured, the police report Nikki had filed, the text messages and emails she had sent friends explaining the abuse, the reports she filed with the Office of Victim Services, the information she had provided her therapist, the video that was found on Pornhub of a man who looked remarkably like Chris torturing and raping Nikki, the judge ruled that Nikki was not eligible for DVSJA because the abuse was not, quote, substantial. That's nuts. And that he believed she, quote, had options. <laughs> wow. He said the fact that Nikki had a, quote, tremendous amount of advice, assistance, support, and opportunities to escape her alleged abusive situation was why he denied the use of of DVSJA. Nikki was ultimately sentenced to 19 years to life. What a load of horse crap. What an absolute load of horse crap. Yep. There's literally a video on the internet. But they couldn't prove that it was him in the video. And they couldn't prove that um, it was authenticated. They couldn't find the authentication that he was the one who indeed uploaded it. Which, again, that just has to do with trial prep. Exactly. That, that would have, all of that would have been done with subpoenas. Exactly. Find out what IP address had, had submitted that. Get an expert to yeah. to examine the, the facial features of the man in the video. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But again, there was no time. There was right. no time for any of this. Right. And the prosecution knew that. Yeah. Which is just so disgusting. Yes. That you damn well know. Yes. What's going on here. And you're just going to, quote unquote, do your job. Exactly. 
And this following information comes from medium.com and explains further why the judge felt it was necessary to deny her DVSJA. On February 5th, 2020, Judge McLaughlin presented the court with his 47-page written DVSJA decision. In it, he stated repeatedly that Nikki had used the battered woman syndrome defense, a legal approach based on a theory first articulated in 1984 that explains an abused woman's actions as the result of a narrow number of symptoms. Experts have largely abandoned this method and instead attempt to show the impact of domestic violence on the defendant. Quote, battered woman syndrome is a diagnosis that was never made nor preferred as a defense. And this is from one of the defense attorneys. Quote, for him to say we put on that defense shows he had a misunderstanding of the evidence before him. The judge? Yes. Misunderstood the evidence. Then why is he a judge? That's what the defense is saying. That they didn't bring forth a battered woman syndrome defense. Mm Mm-hmm. Because they, there's a diagnosis that has to go along with it. There are symptoms that have to go along with it. And that was not the point of their defense. And right. he, they say, missed that. Right. Why is he a judge? Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> You're absolutely. absolutely right. Yeah. I'm going to read a few parts of reports Nikki had made and notes about Nikki's examinations. And I want the listeners to tell us if they feel this was substantial to show abuse along with the multitude of photographs of bruises on Nikki's body. Um, Some of the photographs I did post on our Instagram over the week. So if you want to go back and look at those, um, obviously trigger warning, they are images of injuries from domestic violence. So um, look at them at your own risk. So this is a report with the Department of Family Services from 9-4-14. So it says that the patient history of assault, uh, the name is Nicole Adamondo and the relationship to patient is self. She says that the date of the assault was 9-4-14 at 11 p.m. Uh, at her home in their kitchen. And they ask name of assailant and she writes Chris and marks it as intimate partner. So this dates back all the way to the year 2014. Then we have a police report from the year 2015. So this is Friday, 11-6-2015 at 6-17 p.m. It says it's an update for a high-risk domestic They say, this is an update regarding an email I sent to everyone yesterday regarding a high-risk domestic relationship. She is extremely fearful of her boyfriend. The situation is escalating, and I want everyone to be aware of the names and their addresses. The victim is Nicole Adamondo. The suspect is Christopher Grover. That's the police. Right. Then there are two... Medical records from 2017, one of which we did read a little bit of 
um, when she said that the gun was used in her on last week's Mm -hmm. episode. But this is another one that says Nicole here for rape and assault exam says normally she can just rest after weekly attacks, but this time need health care. Says ashamed and scared of him claims he says he has a gun, says he won't leave. Beating increases if she says anything about breakup or taking kids. Vulva seems to have had trauma. God. How is that not substantial? Right. Like, right. it's not just her word. The The medical tests are showing signs of injury. Right. And here's the thing. If we try to play devil's advocate here and say that this is all her, she's doing all this to herself. Mm-hmm. He should want to leave. He should want to leave. And he should want to take his kids. And if she's doing all this stuff to herself, she he's going to get full custody. Right. She's so, unstable and the children should not be around that. Exactly. Right. So that would have been his move. Yeah. Exactly. And remember when I mentioned the prosecution had been able to get Nikki's original defense attorney successfully removed from the case? Obviously, I'm sure everybody remembers that because we talked about it like five times. Well, according to the Poughkeepsie Journal, in August of 2020, an appeal regarding this action had officially been filed in New York Supreme Court's appellate division. This is just one of the points of contention listed in the appeal. The appeal asks that Adamondo's conviction either be overturned or that she be resentenced under DVSJA. Members of the state Senate and Assembly who were integral in working on the act filed an amicus brief in support of the appeal. They believe Adamondo should not be in the position she is in and that the DVSJA is designed exactly for women like her. The appeal also asserts that the prosecution used false hearsay testimony in front of the grand jury, stating the gun used had been wiped down when in fact there had been no test performed to show that this was true. Also, if his prints were all over it, how was it wiped down? Right. If his DNA was all over. Like, why? Right. what? Right. Further, the court also denied the defense from striking a juror before the jury was sworn in. There was something with this juror. I don't know exactly what it is, but that's also part of this appeal. And lastly, the court wrongfully denied evidence that could have shown Chris had uploaded photographic proof of his abuse towards Nikki onto the Pornhub website. So they had evidence showing that he indeed did send this to Pornhub, but the court denied it. So that's in the appeal. We will, of course, continue to watch this case closely and bring to you any updates as we find them. And if you want to help Nikki you can go to the website that was created for her, which is WeStandWithNikki.com. And Nikki is spelled N-I-K-K-I. And there are parts of the website that you can um, find the donation pages and stuff for her, for her defense. And um, you can read more about 
who Nikki is, um, what her friends and family have to say about her, see more photos of her with her kids, see more of the information about her her trial and, and her defense case and, and all of that stuff on there. So we stand with Nikki.com. If you are a victim of sexual assault, you can call the sexual assault hotline at 1-800-656-4673. And if you are a victim of domestic violence, you can call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. Of course, we will put all of these resources in the show notes and we will put all of our references in there as well. Any final words for this case? No, just what a load of horse crap. Yeah. Like, what an absolute miscarriage of justice. Yeah. Ridiculous. It's horrible. It's completely ridiculous. Improper evidence procedure. Improper criminal procedure. Yeah. Uh, it's ridiculous. So many ethics violations. Yeah. It's it's horrible. It's horrible. And the, for a murder trial. This isn't right. like, <laughs> right. you know, some little misdemeanor. This is a murder. Everything should be as absolutely by the book as possible. You would think... It, it's supposed to be, but it just, there are st still so many people in the, the legal system who are corrupt or have their, their personal biases or, or prejudices that come into play and that shouldn't be happening. So um, it, it's really unfortunate to see something like this happen. And like I said in the first episode, it's really unfortunate, especially to see it happening in a state like New York that has so many that tries to have so many safeguards for people in her situation. And just to see that nothing actually happened except for the fact that she ended up killing the guy and then was sentenced to the possibility of life in prison. It just, it makes me really, really sad for what, what the state really tried to put forth. It just isn't working. Um, so it just, it's really, it's, it's devastating to see that this happens to, to people in her situation. So the appeal was, was filed in August of this past year. So it's going to take a little while for all of that to go through. So once we hear something coming of that, um, if something ever does, then of course we'll, we'll bring an update. And hopefully something does come of that because that's really, she, she deserves so much better. If you or someone you know has a story you would like to share on Blackbird, you can email us at blackbirdadvocacy at gmail.com. You can find us on all major podcast platforms and all of our social media channels, which you can find at our link tree, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Blackbird Advocacy. Do not forget to tune in to PodVCon, our virtual podcast convention, March 12th through 14th and 19th through 21st. We are bringing you a spring break edition. So lots of fun. And uh, Dan and I will be bringing our live Blackbird. Still don't know what we're going to talk about, but it's going to be 
interesting and entertaining nonetheless. You have to be a member of the PodVCom Facebook group, which you can find at facebook.com slash groups slash PodVCom, P-O-D-V-C-O-M-M, in order to watch and participate in the convention. Please rate, review, subscribe, listen, follow, share, all that stuff for our podcast so that we are heard by more people because that's the goal that more people know about these stories and help to enact change and get these discussions going so with that be safe be aware of your surroundings and as we always say continue to social distance i can't believe we still have to say this i did hear that with the rise in vaccinations though there has been a decrease in infections. So hopefully right now the vaccinations are actually working. And I hope so. people are actually taking more precautions and really yeah. trying to get the vaccination. And I hope that we don't just end up with a resistance strain I from know. all these half doses. I know. Listen, the way that a multi-dose vaccine works is you have to get all the doses. Right. It's like with an antibiotic. You don't stop taking the antibiotic once you think you're not sick anymore because then you're just going to create a resistant strain inside your body and it's going to eat you and then it's going to eat your friends and it's going to eat you people you don't even know. Right? If we get... You have to take both the doses of your vaccine. Because yes. what will happen is the first dose will just kill most of the virus. It'll kill the weak ones and the strong ones will just get stronger. Right. And then you'll they'll eat you and then they'll go to your family and eat your family and they'll go to your friends and eat your friends and they'll go to strangers on the other side of the world and eat them. Correct. Do not do this one shot vaccine bullshit unless I don't know man whatever it shouldn't be a thing. No. Let's really let's really just continue to socially distance if you can. Yeah. Because this whole thing dies if people just stop spitting on each other for 2 weeks. <laughs> it's true. Just stay home. It doesn't matter how bad the virus gets. It doesn't matter if we have a billion vaccines or none. If there are no transmission events, the viral reservoir disappears and the virus goes bye-bye for all of eternity. Correct. Fact. So, social distance. Wash your hands. Stay home. I can't believe we slept this Wear your mask. I know. It's been... Hey, Not guys. you guys. You guys are cool. No. Tell your friends. Tell your friends and family. Exactly. It's been over a year now. So... Yeah. This is just absolute garbage. Okay, so I don't I don't want to go on to another diatribe because we <laughs> do it every single week, and I think yeah, they're sick of hearing I us know, talk about it. But I know. Um, so with that, that's it for today. Thanks for listening. We'll be heard by you next week, and uh, we'll bring an all new Psyche Saturday. And then on Sunday for Valentine's Day, we're going to have a special promising young woman film review because the movie was fantastic and it's been nominated for a bunch of awards so we're going to talk about that and bring that to you on valentine's day so you have a week to watch promising young woman it's on demand watch it you will not be disappointed and then we can all discuss it together so that we don't give you any spoilers cool cool see you next week
everyone. I am Nick. And I'm Russ. And if you're looking for a podcast about current events that's well-informed, highly educated, and safe to share with your whole family, that's not us. Nope, it's not. But here at the Nick and Russ Don't Know Anything podcast, we have an opinion about everything and don't mind sharing it. That we do. New episodes every Wednesday and Saturday. Check us out at nickandrust.com. And find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and many more, including YouTube. Thank you, and I love you all. Mwah! We are Pod Jerky, two Canadian buddies serving up multi-flavored audio jerky in every episode. If you like good times, strong coffee, maple syrup, swamp donkeys, hockey, the outdoors, common sense, dogs, conspiracy theories, sports, and life in general, then subscribe and follow our podcast and check out our social media channel at Pod Jerky. Pod Jerky, make it a double.